I do want to dive into God's Word here today. Uh, and as we get into it, the question that I want to look at is very simply this. Where do you and I go from here? Right? Like we've hit our tee shot in the woods. All right? We don't know what's going on around us. Like how do we get back to the green? Where do we go from here? We're looking around and we're looking in the news. We're even watching a few other churches and things like that. And we're seeing that things are beginning to open up again. Uh, we're seeing that a little bit of normalcy seems to start popping up at different places and stuff like that. And so what are the lessons that we've learned during this time away? And what are the priorities, priorities that God is calling us into first as we get back together? That's what I want to jump into here in our passage. And so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Ezra chapter 3 uh, this morning. Ezra chapter 3. Uh, if you didn't bring it with you again, you can easily grab it since you were at home. And if you have no idea where Ezra is... No shame because no one's going to see what you're checking out the table of contents right there. You're welcome to do that. Also, you can easily follow along on the screen. I'm going to be having some of these passages right there. Uh, suffice, to, suffice to say, I think that probably none of us were expecting to be in Ezra this morning. But I love this book because it is all about Israel's return from captivity and their coming home party. That's what's taking place in this text. Uh, they're going to be coming back from captivity after a long time away, and they're going to be coming back into their homeland and is essentially establishing a lot of brand new normal uh, routines in their life. And church, it's exactly what we're doing in what we're walking into today. We're like we're walking into the season of making brand new normals, right? Things are not going to be the same once everything comes back into place once again. It's kind of like when the iPhone came into existence. It changed everything about the way that we communicate with each other, the way that we surf the internet, the things that we do. It changes everything. You don't revert back to that previous time. Kind of like 9-11. Everything's going to be different as a result of this pandemic and the things that we've experienced during this time. I mean, some of you are going through major career changes right now. I mean, some of us are going through major lifestyle changes and we're downgrading in a lot of different ways. Like there are priorities that are changing right now. How we shop is changing right now. And the reality is that a lot of us are longing for normal once again. But the question that I have us consider is what if normal is the thing that God's been wanting to change all along? And I think it's exactly what we're going to see here in this passage with the nation of Israel. So again, Ezra chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And if you're not familiar with the story, let me catch you up a little bit on, on some history of what's taking place. There's two major deportations and two major captivities that are essential in Israel's history. Really, you can make, make it three if you want to go all the way back to Israel or Egypt back in Exodus. But um, right there in 722 BC, the Assyrians are the dominant power at the time. And they come in and they take over and they conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. Take them captive. And that's the first major thing that's taking place there. The second one is going to be in 605 BC. The Babylonians come into power and they come in, they conquer the southern kingdom of Israel. And then from there is three major deportations, 605, 597 BC, and 586 BC. So think about uh, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's going to be all taking place in Babylon as a result of these deportations. Now, all of these things that are taking place are all in response uh, to Israel's defiance of God. So keep in mind that they were in covenant relationship with God, and the covenant essentially went like this. As long as Israel obeyed and honored God, God would bless them and protect them. He would be their God, and essentially things would go really, really well. It's a pretty sweet agreement if you ask me, and it seems pretty simple. But the problem is that Israel is comprised of people, 
right? And, and people have shown us time and time again that we don't want to honor the Lord. We don't put him first, and we have a really hard time obeying him. And so for a long time, God had been warning and calling the nation of Israel to repent. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, he's been saying, return back to me, giving them warnings. Nevertheless, Israel, Israel decides to go their own way. And so after 700 years of warnings and preparation, God hands them over for discipline, and that's what leads to these two major captivities. Again, 722 with the northern kingdom of Israel, 605, 597, 586 BC with the southern kingdom. Now, nearly 70 years after these deportations take place, the Medes and the Persians come into power, and that's when they overthrow the Babylonians. And what happens here is that the king of Persia, whose name is Cyrus, uh, the Persian king, not the tiger king, but the Persian king Cyrus at this time, he comes in and he makes this proclamation, which allows the Israelites to finally return home again, almost after 70 years of captivity. And what's fascinating about this proclamation is that God has already told the Israelites this was going to take place through a, king named, uh, through a king named Cyrus nearly 150 years before Cyrus is ever born. And we read about it through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is going to say this in chapter 45. He's going to say, this is what the Lord said to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue the nations before him. He says, I summon you by name and I bestow on you a title of honor, even though you don't acknowledge me. And so this is what God's saying to Isaiah. He's saying, I'm going to call a guy named Cyrus, right? And I'm going to give him honor. I'm going to give him a name, even though he doesn't acknowledge me. And I'm going to use him to do the things that I want him to do. Right? So God's into total and complete control over Cyrus. It's the same thing a little later on. He says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I'm going to make all of his ways straight. He's going to rebuild my city. He's going to set my exiles free. He's getting specific about how he's going to use this Cyrus right here. And, and so keep in mind, this is taking place nearly 150 years before Cyrus is ever born and 150 years before they're even taken away into captivity. He continues with the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, he's going to give us a timeline of how long it's going to last, but he says this to Jeremiah in 25. He says, Judah would become a desolate wasteland, and these nations are going to serve the king of Babylon for uh, 70 years. And so again, long before they're taken away, God is preparing the people for what's going to take place. And he's preparing them, and he's letting them know, even though you're in isolation, even though you feel alone, even though you feel like you've been abandoned, I have never, ever left you, and I'm always, always, always going to be in control. And so that's how we pick it up in Ezra chapter 1. We read this, and it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. And so church, like, I don't know if you need a little bit of encouragement to start off right now, but if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling alone, maybe God is off and he's far away. What he's showing us right here is that he's always, always, always with us and he's always been in control. Even in isolation, even in the middle of pandemic, even in the middle of sickness and whatever it is that you may be going through, he is with you always and he is always in control. And so that's how we pick it up in chapter 3. In chapter 3, the proclamation has been made, and now it's time for the Israelites to come home. And what I want you to see are the priorities that God has given to them and the things that they've learned, really the priorities that they established as they reestablish um, life again in their new normals here in their hometown. So here's what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josedek, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, they began to rebuild the altar of God in order to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. 
Despite their fear, the people around them, and I love this because you got to understand when they're returning home, they're not returning home to an empty land. They're not returning home to friends and family, right? They're returning home to people who are hostile towards them, people who hated the Jews, did not want them to be there, did not think they should be there. That's who they're returning to. And so it says, despite their fear, they continue to build this altar on its foundation, and they sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both in the morning and the evening sacrifices. And so there's two priorities I want to draw your attention to as we really think about rebuilding our normal today. Uh, the first is this unified commitment to one another, right? It's this unified commitment to the gathering right here. And the second is this. It's a unified commitment to authentic worship. That's exactly what we're going to see here in this passage. I mean, first thing they do when they get back to Israel and they settle in their towns is they assemble together as one in Jerusalem. That's what they do. They say, we need to come together. We need to be unified in this entire thing. Second thing they do is they reestablish the altars of worship. And so church, what I want you to see from the very beginning is that this is not normal, this is not what had become normal in the nation of Israel. Like normal was individualism. Normal was idolatry. Normal was busyness that says, hey, I don't have time for the things of God because I'm so busy doing things for me. That's what's normal right there. Like normal is division and disunity, not this common desire to come together and be together as one. I mean, think about the makeup of Israel for a second. It's 12 different unique tribes that were always warring with one another. Which makes sense because each of the two different 12 tribes came from 12 different brothers. And as you well know, that, that's what brothers do. Brothers fight. Brothers fight. They have wars. They bicker. They argue. They divide over all kinds of things. They're territorial. They're competitive with one another. And so it's not shocking. Like that's their normal. Their normal is division and disunity. Selfishness is normal. It's why the kingdom splits in two just after King Solomon passes away. There's 10 tribes that go to the northern kingdom, two tribes that go down to the south. But church, what I want you to see is like, that's who's there together in Jerusalem. It's all 12 of these tribes that have been dispersed, that have been in exile, that have been mixed all together, that no longer have that unique identity, even as different Jews. They're all coming together, they're together, and they're serving together as one right there in Jerusalem. And so we're not talking about friends, even though they are all Jewish people. Like we're talking about people who've been burned by one another. Like we're talking about people who have a track record of hostility people who've been angry, people who have a history together. And now all of a sudden they're home and it seems like they're realizing, oh yeah, like there's something holy about the unity of our gathering. And they're coming home and they're realizing, hey, there's something beautiful about our purpose and everything that God has called us to do. And so the first thing we see, yeah, they, they come together and they gather together as one because like they're not looking for normal anymore. They're looking for something brand new. And that's what they're expecting. They're not saying, hey, God, we want the same old, same old. We want, we're longing for the good old days of the past. We want to walk into the things that you want to do here in our future. And for a lot of us, church, like the new that he wants to do in you is pretty much the same thing as we're seeing right here. That he's going to take you from a place of disunity in the body of Christ. He's going to take you from a place of disassociation and distance from the body of Christ. And he's going to bring you together again in unity. And he's going to do this thing where he strengthens in you this commitment to love and to serve one another. Church, I don't have to tell you, like, this is not just Israel's problem. Like, we, we know this is, this is happening in us all the time. A few years back, I was reading this fascinating article about Justin Bieber. Yes, I'm a, I'm a Biebs fan. Uh, I apologize. I'll repent to that later, maybe. Um, but anyway, this article was all about Bieber's faith. 
and uh, the things he thought about the church. Obviously, many of you who follow him, you know that uh, he, he is a follower of Jesus Christ, and he loves him and serves him tremendously. But here's what he had to say in the article. I'm going to say this is uh, many, many years ago. But here's what he says. He says, a lot of people who are religious, I think that they get lost. They go to the church just to go to church. And I'm not trying to disrespect them, but for me, I focus more on praying and talking to God because I've come to understand that I don't really have to go to church. And hear me when I say this because I'm not hating on the beeps. I'm a huge fan of the beeps, right? It is not even totally wrong, right? He, he's right. Like you don't have to go to church in order to be saved. He's right about that part. But the question I'm wondering is like how many of us are thinking about our gathering in the exact same way? Like how many of us are thinking about our gathering like, like, like church is an elective that you may or may not want to be a part of? I mean, you've heard the stats, right? Like you've heard me talk about some of the things, the trends that are taking place culturally, but Barna talks about how it used to be back in the day that a committed church member would attend this gathering 48 out of 58, 52 weeks out of the year. Today, we're seeing things like a committed church member is going to go somewhere between one and three times a month, meaning, meaning 12 to 36 times a year. And church, we're talking about committed church members, people who self-identify, this is my church home. I am fully committed to this gathering of believers here showing up 12 to 36 times per year. And you've heard the excuses, right? We, we, we know that we've got good reasons. But the reality, church, is that the reason is that like some of us are just way too busy. For the, I mean, the reality is that some of us, our normal is a busy, busy, busy life that has no other time for other things. Okay, so we get to Sunday and we've got, hey, I've got to work today. I've got school going on today. I've got soccer practice and football and I've got sports and I've got sports on TV a little bit later on. And then I've got more and more work. And so like, I, I don't have time for anything. Like that's our normal. And for some of us, it may, it may not necessarily be on the weekend, but maybe it's that, hey, the rest of my week is so jam-packed with stuff. It's so jam-packed with kids' extracurricular activities, entertainment, hanging out with the boys, work, 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 friends, and all these different kinds of things that I've got no other time for the things of God. And I get to the weekend, and hey, Sunday, I just need a little bit of me time. Like for some of us, like that's exactly what's going on right here. For others, it's a little bit different. I was talking with a, a person a little while ago, and they were kind of like, well, Aaron, like, why in the world would I go to church when I can sit at home and I can watch all the greats online? You know, people like Tony Evans and Matt Chandler and Chuck Swindoll and, and uh, Priscilla Shire and all, like, all those kinds of greats. Like, why would I come to church and listen to you? No offense, of course, but like, why would I come to church and do that like, when I can stay at home and listen to all the greats online? And beyond that, like, think about worship. Why would I come and worship with a bunch of people that are largely tone deaf when I could sit at home and I could put in Bethel and I could jam at home and just worship right there. I mean, even right now, some of us are feeling this disconnect because some of us I'm hearing, like there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of um, great things about the convenience of online church right now. Hey, you can do it today at two o'clock if you want to. I could do it at five o'clock whenever I want to. Like there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of convenience about online church. But the reality, church, is that there are some things you simply cannot do online. There are some things that we were designed to do together, face-to-face, -face, with one another. Hebrews is going to talk about it like this. He's going to say, let us consider, church, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of Jesus Christ drawing near. In other words, church, what we're seeing is that you and I were made for one another. Like, we were made for one another. We were made to love one another. We were made to serve one another. We were made to look each other in the eyes and to have relationship 
and have trust built into where we go deep into each other's lives and we see the things that are taking place and I enter into your pain, you enter into my pain, we bring levity to those situations, we bring relief and we do life together because we were made for one another. Church, that's why some of us are grieving right now because you and I were not made for isolation and you're feeling the weight of this time alone. And you're feeling other people's pain because you weren't made for isolation. You were made for community and you were made to belong to one another. The church, we're image bearers of a triune relational God who has always existed from the very beginning as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, there's never been a time where God did not exist in the context of community. And that's the God whose image we bear. It's why we're feeling the way that we feel right now. It's why we're sick and tired of Zoom calls and we're saying, hey, that was great at the beginning, but hey, it's not the real thing. I need the real thing. And it's why some of us are watching online church and you're going, my gosh, I'm hungry to get back together again as a church family. I need to see people. I need interaction. I need love. I need service. I need an outlet. I need real human touch. I need a hug. I need tears. I need vulnerability. I need prayer. I need to hear and understand the fullness of God's word. Like, I need this community right now. It's why we feel the way that we feel. Church, 59 times in the New Testament, we're going to hear the exact same thing. Jesus is going to say in John chapter 13, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Not just yourself, not just, not just your own world, not just your own family, that you love one another. Mark chapter 9, be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet, John 13, Romans 12, be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Romans 12, 10, honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Serve one another in love. Be patient, bear with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another, speak to one another. In humility, consider one another as more important than yourself. Church, it keeps going on and on and on. It's why John Wesley once said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary, independent religion. You can look for it, it's just not there. Point is, church, like you weren't made for isolation. Like you were made to belong to a body. You were made to belong to a family. I mean, that's what John says in John uh, chapter one. He's gonna say like, this isn't just a normal gathering. This isn't like any other club. Like we're a part of a family. We've, we've, We've been bonded together in Jesus Christ as many as have received him. To them, he's given the right to be called children of God. In other words, he's the heavenly father. We are the children that he loves. You and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ as he has adopted us and brought us into a brand new family. Church, that's who we are. And like any other, any other family, we have to have a connection. We've got to be able to talk. We've got to be able to resolve conflict. We've got to be able to encourage one another, stimulate each other, love one another, challenge one another, build one another up. Like there's some things you can't do when you're just online. There's some things you can't do from a distance. Long distance relationships are fine for a short season, but nobody gets married and is satisfied in a long distance relationship. It's not how it works because we were designed not for isolation, but to belong to one another. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, he uses a different metaphor and he says, we are the body of Jesus Christ. It's who we are. We're the body of Jesus Christ. Two different metaphors that communicate the exact same thing, that we belong to one another. We're not in isolation. And he goes on and he says, we are the body of Christ. And some of us are going to function kind of like hands. And some of us are going to function like feet. And some of us are going to function like eyes. We're going to have different gifts. And some of us are going to be the nose. And some of us are going to be the ears. And we're going to have different gifts. And we're going to have different personalities and different backgrounds and different, and, and different emotions and stuff like that. Nevertheless, all of us are essential members of the exact same body church. Like that's what the church is. 
Like it's men, women, and children coming together from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, whether we are educated or not, whether you are wealthy or not, whether you are healthy or sick. Church, we're talking about a brand new body here. We're talking about Aggies and Longhorns coming together in the same family. We're talking about Republicans and Democrats, right? Every single personality, every single background, and together we are the body of Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, yeah, like the Beebs is right. You don't have to go to church because like the church isn't a place, even though it's great to have a place that we can come to and gather. And the church isn't just a, it's not just a corporate entity or just a nonprofit organization, although it is helpful in order to be organized. The church is a community that you and I already belong to. And as a gathering of that community, you get to one another with and what we're seeing right here just seems like after all that time away, like Israel's coming back together again, and they're going, I get it. I get it. I, I, the isolations made me remember that we were made to be together. We're family. There's something that's, that's bigger than the things we were fighting about before. And it just seems like after all that time away, God has done something in their souls. He's done something in their minds. It's made them remember that they were made to be together. And so the first thing we see is they come together and they gather together in Jerusalem as one. And what I love about their gathering is they're not coming together just to party. It's not a celebration saying, hey, we're home. It's not a parade. It's not a dinner club primarily. It's not just friendships and a good time and stuff like that. Like they're there to worship. They know that that's what their gathering's all about. They're there to worship because for them, their normal had become idolatry. That was what was normal before this time away. Their normal was was busy. Their normal was, hey, here's all these other things that I'm going to put ahead of my relationship with God. Their normal was this, this cultural blend of Judaism with this cultural Christianity, if you will, that has the right language, knows the right morality to follow, knows the right things to do, but their hearts are far away from God. Church, that was their normal. And so they're coming together and they're seeing, hey, God is bringing us back to worship once again. And he's bringing us back to ground zero. And he's saying, like, strip everything else away. Like he's not the last thing that I tack on at the end of the week. He's the first thing that I begin my week around. He's not the last priority that if I have leftover time, I'm going to come back to. He's the first thing and everything else I do, it revolves around him. And so that's what we see. Their gathering is not a club. It's not like anything else. They come together and they gather together as one, but they gather together as one for the purpose of worship. And so we see that they, they began to rebuild the altar of God so that they could reestablish the sacrificial system in verse 2. In verse 4, it says that they celebrated the festival of tabernacles once again. They hadn't done that together as a body in forever. After that, it says that it was a new moon sacrifices, and then it was sacrifices for all the, uh, the appointed sacred festivals and things like that. It just keeps going all throughout the, ch the, the chapter with, with, with festival after fef festival and sacrificial system after sacrificial system because worship is the thing that he's called us to do. I love how Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 16. It's this famous scene uh, where Jesus is at the height of his ministry and he calls his disciples to the side and he takes them out there and he's just talking with them and he says, who do people say that I am? And you remember this scene because this is the first time that the word church is ever introduced in the, in the New Testament. But he pulls his disciples aside and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? And you remember the response, right? They look at each other and they're going, okay, well, some people think that you're Elijah. Some people think that you're John the Baptist. Some people think that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then all of a sudden, like Jesus stops and he says, okay, that's great. Enough about other people. But like, who do you say that I am? That's what I want to know. Like, who do you say that I am? 
And you remember what Peter says. Peter jumps up and he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, meaning this confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, not, yes, it is a play on words because Peter's name does literally mean rock. However, based on this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the word that he uses there is ecclesia, which literally means a gathering of people. It is a gathering of the called out, as Kyle Martin talked about last week, ek kaleo, called out people. It is a gathering of the called out people. That's exactly what the church is. It is a gathering of the called out people who are gathering around this central conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So he's not, he's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's not a million other things. He's not a great teacher. He's not a prophet. He's not one of a thousand different ways to get to God. God. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And here it is, church. He says, when the people of God gather together to worship under that one common conviction, look what he says next. He says, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail. In other words, church, like the enemy is defeated when we gather together to worship. There's power when we come together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, in unity, and we sing praises to the king, and we, and we bow before the throne, and we surrender our lives totally and completely to him. Like, there's power when we come together and when we worship. And so we see this, like in Acts chapter 7, like the Romans try to kill this new movement of God by stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7, but what do we see the church do? They just keep coming together and they keep gathering to worship and they pray and they spread out and the gospel keeps going to the ends of the earth and the, and the gates of hell are stormed because the gates of hell will not prevail. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. 303 AD, Diocletian tries to burn all the different churches and the church just keeps gathering no matter what's going on and they keep worshiping and the gospel keeps expanding because the gates of hell will never prevail. Church, like that's exactly what he's talking about right here. Like there's power when believers come together in unity to worship. Church, it's exactly what he's talking about. Like gates aren't weapons, right? right? Gates, are, gates are designed to keep insiders in and outsiders out. It's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Like he wants to keep you isolated because he wants to keep you hopeless. He wants to keep you inside. He doesn't want you to be set free. Like he wants you to keep hiding in shame, alone, and thinking these terrible thoughts. He wants you to be lonely and depressed, thinking everything's ruined in your life and that there's no coming back. And so he hates it when the people of God come together in unity to worship under this common confession that Jesus Christ is Lord because there is power when the people of God come together to worship. Like he hates that. Like there's power, church. Like depression dissipates when worship flows. That's what takes place. Like the anxiety fades away when worship is lifted up. Like hopelessness turns into hope. Healing takes place, church, and new life begins when the people of God all come together and they worship under this common conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm telling you like, that there's nothing like this physical gathering. There's not, there are some things, church, you'll just never, ever, ever be able to get online. I mean, I'll never forget years ago, I was tracking with this couple here at the church and they were going through one of the, just an incredible time of grief. And uh, by God's grace, he brought him out of this season. And we were sitting and we were talking about this one day. And, and I was asking about how God had kind of brought him out of this season. And she goes, you know, I remember very specifically the day that God really broke through my grief and began to show me a little bit of what he could do and fill me with a little bit of hope again. But she goes, it was a Sunday morning and I was laying in bed. And like many Sundays before, I was not able to get out of bed. I was so sad and overcome with grief and despair. It was one of these days I didn't want to get up and go to church, 
but I woke up and God was just like, this is the day I need to go. And she goes, I couldn't ignore it any longer. And so I, I, I got dressed and she goes, I walked into church by myself. I tried to slip in the back row so nobody would notice me. And the rest of the church was standing and they were singing and worship that day. And she goes, I slipped into that back row and I just hung my head and I just listened to everybody else sing. And she goes, Aaron, I don't know how to explain what happened except, that, except to say that God met me in the singing of the gathering of people around me as they were worshiping him, I was able to enter into worship. And she goes, I very specifically remember the song that we were singing. It was a song called Faithful. And the lyrics are beautiful. You may remember this song. I'm not gonna sing it for you. I apologize there. But it simply says this. It says, faithful, you're always faithful. True, you're always true. You'll never leave me. You're always with me. You're good, you're good, you're good. And there's this section in the song where it just simply says, you're we the weeping endures for the night. Your joy comes in the morning. The sorrow may last for a time, God. Your joy comes in the morning. And she goes, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to the people around me singing this thing. And that's when the Holy Spirit gave me hope that even though my weeping endures for a night, that there's joy coming in the morning. And she goes, I'm sitting there and I'm listening and it just built me up. And finally, I was able to stand on my own two feet and I began singing along with the rest of the church. And that's when God met me there in the singing. Church, I'm telling you, like, there's power when the gathering of people come together under this common conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they come together to worship. There's power when we do that. And you need to understand, like, I'm not just talking about singing because worship is so much more than just singing. You got to understand, like we're talking about, like everything that we do in worship and in surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we do all of those things in service to the Lord Jesus Christ and in service to one another, like there's power when we do those things. Like when you do greeting as an act of worship, like it's not arbitrary. Church, you got to understand, like you are storming the gates of hell every single time you open up that door and you welcome somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. So you're letting them know that every single man, woman, and child that walks in this place is welcome. Like this is a place of grace. Like you are storming the gates of hell every time you do that. Church, it's not arbitrary. I remember getting this note from somebody who's, who uh, became a member here at DBC. And she goes, I didn't know if DBC would be my church home, but as soon as I walked up to the front and I saw Ray and Ricky Stroop, holding open those doors, giant smile on their face, and they took the time to talk to me and they introduced me to other people in our church. I knew that this would become my church home. I'm telling you, like, there's nothing arbitrary about any of our worship. It's the same thing when you're volunteering in the children's ministry church. Like when you do children's ministry, as an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, like there's nothing arbitrary about what you're doing. You're not just changing diapers and playing games and doing skits and things like that. You're storming the gates of hell by investing in the next generation. Church, how many of us came to faith at a young age? I've been thinking of all the different people that God used in my life every single year, all throughout elementary, preschool, junior high, high school, that God used in my life to shape me and to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to be that person that I am today. Church, so there's nothing arbitrary when you do what you do as a sacrificial offering of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's power in it all. And it's the same thing in ABFs and Bible fellowships and Bible studies and in life groups, church. Like when you come to those things and you come to the word of God, not in a desire to know more things and to be smarter than the person next to you, but it's an act of worship that says, God, I want to know who you are and I want to surrender myself to you. You come and you engage in this community in a life-giving way that breathes life and hope and truth into the people around you. And you are storming the gates of hell by doing those things. And at the exact same time, he is filling you up with power and, 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 and victory in your life. Church, I'm telling you, like everything we do is to that end here in this gathering, like hospitality. Mercy, serving, generosity, evangelism, leadership, prayer, like everything we do is to that end. And when we do what we do as an expression of worship and for the good of another, 
What Jesus is saying right here is that the gates of hell will not prevail. And so church, like that's what I'm praying for. Like I'm not praying for normal to return. I'm praying for God to do something brand new. We don't need normal. We don't need more busy. We don't need idolatry. We don't need boredom and more entertainment. We don't need more consumerism and more materialism and more gluttony. We need God to come and do something brand new inside of our midst. And so I'm not praying for normal and I'm not hoping for normal. I'm hoping and praying, God, would you come and do something brand new in me? And would you come and do something brand new in this church? And God, would you come and do something brand new in this community? This past week, I found these old um, prayer cards from 2015. I think it was the fourth week that I was here at the church and I asked the church to pray as we were talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and we were dreaming a little bit about what God may do here at Dallas Bible over our years together. And um, I asked people to write out this prayer and these hopes and dreams of what God may do in that time. And I found this stack this past week and I wanted to share some of these prayers with you because again, just to remind you, like, this is the heartbeat of the church. This is what you're longing for God to do. This is what we've been praying for consistently for the past four or five years together. And so for some of you to understand like this is what's going on, but this one person wrote in and simply said this, I'm praying that God would move at Dallas Bible by making it a welcoming place for broken people to come and to find healing. I pray that DBC would be welcoming and they'd be welcoming people that have their shortcomings and people who are broken, that we would be a safe place to help people heal through the power of the Holy Spirit with grace and truth. Another person wrote, God, I pray that we would become a body with true compassion for the community that's around us. I love that prayer, that we would be a, a a body with true compassion for the community around us, that we'd be a safe place to be real and repent, and that we'd be able to rejoice again in our wholeness and that the gospel would go forward in power. Another person wrote, God, would this be an authentic place? Not just that we'd look spiritual, but we would be a place where it's okay to be broken and hurt and so that the body can come alongside of us and minister in grace and in healing. Another person wrote, I do pray for unity, and I pray that he would demolish cliques and that he would make DBC a place where people are welcome once again. I pray for the youth to grow into strong and godly leaders and to be a church that accepts everybody and doesn't just judge them and cast them aside. I'm reading these different prayer requests and I'm realizing, God, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. So many of these things I've been seeing, like even in the past number of years, we've been seeing God do this incredible thing in this church body. I mean, so many of these prayer requests were about students and the kids' ministry and the youth ministry and things like that. And I'll just tell you, like, four years ago, we had about 75 kids coming here on a weekly basis. And recently, we had somewhere around 400 kids coming here. Church, like, God is doing a thing. We've had more baptisms and kids coming to faith than ever before. Like, God is doing a work over here. And it's because people are gathering together in worship under this one common conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they're coming together in this gathering with a desire to love and to serve one another. It's not about consumerism. It's not about here's what I can get. It's not about just me, 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 me. It's not about what I can take just online and stuff like that. It's about what can I give all for the praise and for the glory of God. Like I'm reading all these different prayer requests and the things like I'm praying for a community that we would be a church that has compassion and loves the lost and loves the poor, loves the oppressed, loves those who are in need. And I'm thinking even just yesterday, church, like your outpouring of generosity in the time of this pandemic has been exceptional. It has been absolutely exceptional. And I praise God for what he's doing through so many of you. I mean, even yesterday, we're, our food pantry is serving. Typically, we, we serve about 40 to 50 families every single month. And recently, we've been going between 75 to 120 families every two weeks. 
I mean, the, the, the outpouring of generosity here, people have been making masks. We've been distributing free masks to all the families around here that are in need. We've been giving out gift cards and, and, and help financially with food and things like that. Yesterday, church, the outpouring is incredible. Trisha Mills, you and your team are doing an exceptional job in helping us love our community. But here it is, church, it's, it's people that are coming together and they're gathering together as one, as worshipers under this one common conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they're gathering together in love and service to one another. They're not just thinking about this thing in isolation, saying, what am I going to get from it? It's, what, God, what do you want to do through me to help build the glory and praise of your name? And so church, yeah, I'm not praying for something. I'm not praying for normal to return, God. I am praying that you would come and that you would do something brand new in our midst. Church, everything that we are hoping and praying God would do, it is available. And it is, it, 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 it is possible when the people of God come together under that one common conviction and we worship his name and we gather together as one to love and to serve one another. And so church, that is my prayer for you, that you would not be longing for normal, that you would be hopeful and praying that God would come and he would do something brand new in you. Very specifically, I'm praying that someone here today, that, 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 that he would do a new thing in you, that he would develop, really the word that keeps coming to mind is a hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life like you've never had before. And I'm thinking about the church person that's been in the church for a long time and you've never understood worship before. Like you come for some lessons and you come for some good things and you've never understood that. And I'm praying, God, would you come and do something brand new and develop a hunger in that person's life where they understand that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And they understand the reality of that conviction in a brand new way that makes them hungry for you. And they can think of no better thing to do than to give you all of their life and to gladly give it all away for the praise and glory of your name. I'm praying for that person. Pray for a new life to begin not old, dead life, that you would say, you know what, this is the day that I enter into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and I give my life to him. I'm praying for brand new life. I'm praying for kids to come back and, 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 and to establish a strong foundation from a young age. I'm praying for God to come and to do a brand new thing in some dead and empty marriages, for him to restore some, some, some vibrant love and loyalty once again for him to come and to establish these things. And church, what I'm saying is these things take place. There's power when the church gathers together in unity around this one common conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we come together to worship him and to love one another and serve one another, all for the praise and for the glory of his name. So there may not be a whole lot of things to do right now because we're not gathering together, but I am praying that he would stir in you, that he would create in you a brand new hunger today and that you get rattled inside and anxious to be together when we will be here very, very soon. So church, I love you guys. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me right now. But Father, we do love you. We recognize that you alone are the Christ, the son of the living God. You alone are the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And so, Jesus, would you come and would you draw near to your church, even though we're scattered and we're in isolation today? Father, would you draw near to the person that's feeling lonely and unseen right now? God, would you draw near through the power of your Holy Spirit to them? And would you remind them that you are in control and you do have a plan? And that there is a new day that's coming around the corner. Father, I pray that you would remind them of those truths right now. Father, for the person that's been longing for normal, but normal's the thing you've been wanting to break, Father, I pray that they would become comfortable today with the new you want to do. And Father, I pray that you would do that exact same thing. God, you would create something brand new. Father, that worship would arise in this place, that faith would arise. 
God, I pray that love for one another would arise, that service to one another would arise, that selflessness would arise here in this place. And so, God, we look forward to the new that you want to do. And we just say, come, Lord Jesus, come. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you this day. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen.